son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> Hi, if you were with us last week, um, we, uh, we spent some time kind of looking at a parable that many of us are very familiar with. And we looked at the parable of the rich young ruler and kind of took it from a different slant and kind of talked about the things that were stopping him from coming to Christ and kind of tried to parallel that a little bit with us here. Um, I think part of our dilemma in settings like this is sometimes we kind of have to hit the reset button. Because I think sometimes we've been taught things that maybe aren't quite 100% true. For example, tonight, I got one question, really. And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight, what we're going to kind of dive into a little bit tonight. And it's not really a new question to you who have been around here for quite some time. And you should know the answer to it when I say it. But if you don't, don't feel too bad about yourself because it took me a long time to figure it out and I still don't know that I get it every day. And uh, I want you to kind of answer this to yourself. Don't answer it out loud because I don't want to embarrass anybody in here tonight. If I were to come to you at school, say I sit at your lunch table. I'm that person. I'm that guy. I'm that girl. Uh, thank the Lord I'm not a girl. I'd be a pretty ugly one, wouldn't I? <laughs> but I'm that guy or I'm that girl who you know doesn't go to church. Maybe they went to church a while back. Maybe they kind of grew up in church. But for whatever reason right now, you know they don't go to church. And you know that God has kind of had this nagging itch or whatever you want to call it on your heart that you need to talk to them. And for whatever reason, today at lunch, I look across the table or I look over at you and I'm like... You go to First Baptist, right? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, good, because I've got a question that I really, really, it's just been bothering me, and I just don't get it. And I want to know what you think it is. Okay, well, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but shoot. What is the best thing about being a Christian? Because, I mean, you go to church, I mean, you're there on Wednesdays, you're there on Sundays, I mean, you go on these camps, and and, I mean, I get skiing, I mean, that's kind of fun, I got that, but I mean, like, you go to Columbia and spend a week getting hot and sweaty and nasty and working with people who don't really look like you or talk like you or act like you, I mean, I I don't kind of get that, so there's got to be a little something more. What is the best part about being a Christian? And I think if we were to kind of tally that in here tonight, I think there'd be lots of different answers. And I'm not going to sit up here and say that all of them would be wrong. I just think there may be one that's more right, if I can use that terminology. Because I think some of us would sit there, and I think some of us would say, man, you know, the absolute best thing about being a Christian is I know that I've been forgiven. I mean, all the sins that I've done, everything that I've done, I mean, it is wiped clean. It is washed away. It is gone forever. And that's pretty good. 
Because there is nothing else in this world that offers that. But I don't know if that's really the best thing about being a Christian. I mean, some of us could say, well, I think the best thing about being a Christian is I, I, just, I, just, have, you know, I just have a peace. You know, I, just, I just have a peace that everything's going to work out. And that's, that's awesome, and, and, and I, re- I hope you do, because that should be a fruit of the Spirit and a fruit of being a Christian there. But I don't know if that's the answer. And so I've, that's what I want to kind of spend a little bit of time tonight, kind of going back and kind of resetting the button a little bit here. Because I think there's one particular aspect about being a Christian that we don't really think about too often. But when we actually spend the time to dive into it and tear it apart and figure out what's really happening there, it should absolutely blow our mind and anybody else. And hopefully we can finish this conversation in a little bit with maybe a new answer. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. I know I say this lots of times when I'm preaching. I know very often when I'm preaching, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite verse. Oh, this is my favorite book. Yeah, yeah, Amy's heard me say that lots of times, you know, because, you know, at the time, you know, it's like, it is like my favorite. But I could say, I'll just, throughout the last 10 years of my life, the book of Colossians has truly been a favorite of mine just from start to finish, because I love what Paul is getting at in this book. As a matter of fact, I was so bold enough several years back to try to memorize the whole book. And I got through two chapters and then kind of gave up on the project, and now I don't know that I can tell you a single verse. That's sad. Maybe one day I'll get the whatever, the umption or whatever that word is to start back on it. But I want to start, because I think if I were to come to you and I were to say, What is the best thing about being a Christian? I think Paul kind of lays out a very good answer here in chapter 1, verse 13. And I think this is an awesome answer that if you were to give, I mean, man, there's such truth and such wisdom and such power in this answer. In Colossians 1, chapter 13, it says, For he, talking about Christ, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that is like, yes! I mean, that's awesome, man. I want to hang my hat on that. I mean, I want to remember that. I want to take hold of that. I want that to be evident in my life. I want to live that out. That is awesome. I mean, I just love the wording there, and I know this isn't the original Greek. This is how we've translated it, and in my NIV Bible, this is how they've translated it. But I just, I love the imagery here. I mean, it's like, okay, we were in the dominion of darkness. I mean, that's bad. And there's not anything good that can be said about that. I mean, it's not like, oh, you were just in darkness, and you had to find a light switch. I mean, it's like we were in the dominion of darkness. Darkness had control. Darkness was reigning. Darkness had us enslaved to it. There was no hope of getting out of it. And somehow Christ reached down and rescued us out of the dominion of darkness. And that is powerful. If somebody were sitting across the table and you were like, 
You know, I mean, let's say you said, oh, I think one of the best things is I've been forgiven of sins. Okay, well, yeah, that's good. But I mean, if you were like, man, I have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. I mean, it's like, oh, really? Wow. That's good. Okay, you know. And so I, that's why I say I don't know that that's a wrong answer tonight. I just don't know that it's the most right answer. I know that's not how you're supposed to say that, but I say it anyway because my wife's the English major, not me. Instead, I want us to look down a few verses. And we're going to kind of camp out in some of these tonight. I want to read this whole little paragraph, though. But we're going to camp out in just a few of them tonight. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now that is a bold statement Paul's making right there that we could spend all night and next week and the next week talking about. I mean, I mean, really, Paul? And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? Uh, Christ's afflictions on the cross was it? I mean, there wasn't nothing lacking there, Paul. What are you trying to say? We're not going to get into that. That just needs to be a question hanging over your head tonight. Maybe we'll get into that later. But that's a pretty bold statement there. But in verse 25, he says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And this is huge. And this is where we're starting tonight. And this is where we're getting at. And in order to understand what's going on here, we have got to understand what Paul is walking into here. Okay? I think if you've grown up in the church and you've been around VBS enough or you've been around Sunday school enough, you kind of understand Paul was like this church planner guy and use modern terms here. I mean, Paul went around planting churches wherever he was. I mean, that was like his job. That was his deal. He went from place to place and planted a church. That's why these books, I mean, maybe you've been, maybe you've had history class and I don't know, maybe you were studying like Rome or you're studying the Roman government and all of a sudden somebody mentioned Ephesus and you're like oh hey that sounds familiar I think that's like the Bible kind of mentions that you know the book of Ephesians or maybe you're like you're you're you know studying it and you hear you know of Colossae and you're like oh oh, that sounds kind of familiar you know maybe you haven't heard that in history class I heard that in history class but Colossae is an actual place and the names of these books aren't just coincidence, because Paul is writing to the church at Colossae in the book of Colossians. Anybody want to take a guess? This is a freebie. The book of Ephesians. Who was it written to? Ephesus. There you go. How about the book of Philippians? Philippi. Y'all are good. How about the book of First and Second Corinthians? Oh, oh, yeah, Corinth is right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Corinth is a good one. There you go. All right. I mean, awesome. See, it's pretty easy here. Okay, how about the book of First and Second Timothy? Ah, uh, trick question, kind of. Tim, exactly. It was written to Tim. Tim wasn't a place, though. Tim was a person, okay? But anyways, that's what's going on here. Paul has planted this little church in the town of Colossae. And he's kind of moved on now. He has moved away from the church. But what would often happen is Paul would hear about what's happening in the little church that he planted. Because if you've spent that much time and energy and heart in starting something and planting something and building something, you kind of leave a little bit of that behind. 
and you always want to know what's happening there, what's going on there, and so you always want to hear back. And maybe there's some people writing him, maybe he's writing them to hear what's going on. Whatever the case, he hears back from the folks in Colossae. And he gets a little bit of some disturbing news in what he hears. Because Paul has been there and he planted the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And planted the church on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And planted the church on the fact that Jesus Christ did come to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. And everything was taken care of. But somehow or another when he left, somebody came in. Somebody from outside came in. And they kind of saw the door open. And they kind of came into that little body of believers there. I mean, I don't know how many it was. Maybe it was five. Maybe it was a hundred. And he kind of came into that body of believers and was like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah that's kind of right, what Paul said. But, you know, what about this? And eventually their theology and their doctrine, big words, I know you can handle them. It just means what you believe, basically begins to kind of morph. And it hadn't really turned upside down. It's just, you know, a little different. Just a little bit. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, we can be saved in grace, saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I got that. That's cool. But, you know, I I think that Muslim over there can be saved too. I mean, if they just believe hard enough, then they got it. They're, they're there. You know, we're, not, we're not dissing that you can't be saved by Jesus. That's okay. But we've got to be tolerant. When the very fact of that is Jesus Christ came and said the exact opposite of that and said, no, no, it's, it's me. It's only me. I'm it. Sorry if you think I'm arrogant in that, but I am the Son of God, and I am the only way. There is no other way, and so the only way is me. And so it's been morphed just a little bit. And so Paul gets wind of that, and so Paul sits down and begins to write. And in chapter 1, verse 1, we see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy. There's that Timothy guy that he ends up writing two letters to because Timothy is a great partner of Paul. And they're writing this letter to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So there we go. That kind of brings us around to what's happening here. Well, Paul writes this letter. What happens traditionally when Paul writes a letter, hang with me just for a few moments because this is going to help us here in just a minute. When Paul writes a letter to the church, it, it doesn't happen this way. It's not like the elder guy, whoever he is, gets it. Not your granddad, Laura Lee, another guy, okay? It's the elder guy, it's not like he gets the letter, reads it, and then like posts it on the church board for everybody to read. It doesn't happen that way. Instead, what happens is somebody gets the letter and they call a church meeting. All right, church, we got a letter from Paul. Everybody come together. Everybody come together. We got, we got a letter from Paul. Now, everybody, we need to come together. We need to, got a letter from Paul. An amazing thing would happen, the whole church would assemble. Because, I mean, Paul was the founder. I mean, they got Paul. They knew Paul. They trusted Paul. And so when a letter came from Paul, they all wanted to hear the letter at the same time. And so they all gather in a room like this, and I guess the elder guy, or whoever, it may have been Timothy, whoever brought the letter would stand up and read it to the people. 
So that's what would happen traditionally. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. And so the guy is reading the letter to the folks out there. I have been, verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I love that. Because Paul's not playing any games from the get-go. He's saying, here's the deal, folks. I have not left anything out. There's no hole in this. I know somebody came in. I know somebody's trying to distract you, trying to morph you, trying to teach you something different, but I have left no hole. I have preached to you the gospel in its fullness and will continue to do that even now in this letter because that's what God told me to do. And so we've got a full gospel here, which is very important. So he goes on in verse 26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Huge statement here. <coughs> I'm sorry. I may do that a couple times, so just forgive me. Huge statement here, what Paul's saying. Because you, what, here's what you've got to understand. Okay, more, more history. A lot of history tonight. Sorry about that. Just hang with me because it's going to help us all understand what's happening. Okay? These folks knew Judaism. They knew the law. They knew everything about it. They got it. Here's a fascinating tidbit. Okay, you ready for this? All right. Because this is going to blow your mind. Oh, I've been in school all day. Oh, geometry was so hard. Algebra was so hard. Whatever you're in, you know, oh, I don't want to go back to school. It's just not fair. Why do I have to? Okay. Be glad you weren't born back then. Especially you guys. Because here's what you would be doing. All right. Who, who is 13? Raise your hand if you were 13. Okay, all right, got some 13-year-olds right here. Awesome, awesome. All right, now raise your hand if you're over the age of 13. Okay, I think that's like everybody else. <laughs> Great. All right, because here's the deal. <coughs> here's the deal, what would happen? By the age of 13, anybody know what the Torah is? Anybody know if you've been around for a while? Huh? What? The books of the law, yeah, okay. Anybody know what they are? The first, the first five, books. five, there you go. Dalton, awesome, man. All right, first five books of the Old Testament, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all right? Five books, all right? Some of them, I'm going to go ahead and say it, some of the most boring reading ever invented. Inspired by God, love God. I mean, all those numbers, I mean, really. I mean, Mr. Bryan's an engineer. He probably digs it, you know, but I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm like, what? Genesis, love it. Could preach it all day long. Y'all know that. I do it often. But Numbers, your Exodus, awesome too, you know. But here's the deal. By age 13, okay, by age 13, you had, I told you earlier, I tried to memorize the book of Colossians, got two chapters. It's only a page and a half, folks. I mean, really? By age 13, you had had no questions asked, no excuses made. You had the first five books memorized, beginning to end. Uh, now you tell me that geometry is hard. That's 13. I mean, at four and five years old, you were studying the law. 
And this isn't like, oh, well, you know, God created the heavens, I mean, the heavens and the earth in seven days. Well, that seven days could be like, well, one day is like a year to God and a year is like a day. And we don't really know how long that seven. No, no, no. Because this is after all that. This is four years is four years. Okay. All right. Four years is four years. There's no interpreting in that. Four to five year old, you're learning all this stuff. Thirteen, you got the whole scale memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You got them. Whatever. <laughs> These folks knew it. Now here's the point in all that. Because I'm losing you. I got that. Turkey's getting to your brain or something. Here's the point in all that. When Paul stands up and says, hey, look. I got a full gospel here. I got a full message here. I got something full here that's been a, that is a mystery that has been kept hidden from ages to generations. The people that were sitting there take notice. Because that is a huge statement because they know about Abraham. Some of us in here don't quite know too much about Abraham. Who's Abraham? I am Abraham. What's that song? However the song was, Bonnie was singing by there. You know, we might get to sing the song, but we don't know too much. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. The man in which God makes a tremendous covenant. Listen, this is Abraham. He brings Abraham out in the desert on a starry night. He says, Abraham, look up. Can you count the stars? And I mean, Abraham probably tries to start counting. Well, I don't know when he stopped. But at some point, God's like, okay, that's enough, Abraham. You're not going to get it. You know, listen, here's the whole deal while I brought you out of here. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the heaven. Because out of you, I'm going to create a great nation. And you know what was so crazy about this? He didn't have a son. No son, no daughter, no nothing. And God makes this huge covenant with him. And we don't have time to tell the whole story of Abraham tonight, but huge. And so these people know Abraham. They know the covenant. Abraham didn't know this. Abraham doesn't get it. They knew the story of Moses. I mean, they knew how Moses went in to Egypt, went straight to Pharaoh, told Pharaoh, let God's people go, led them out of slavery into the desert for 40 years. He didn't get it. He didn't know the mystery. He didn't get to know the fullness of the gospel. They knew about the prophets. Because that was like later on when they learned that. They got the prophets. They got King David. A man after God's own heart. They understood everything about King David. Maybe not everything. But they understood what was written about King David. He didn't know this. And so here's normal Joe Schmo Colossian sitting in the pew. And the guy's reading the letter. I have a full message here that's so incredible. It is a mystery that's been kept hidden from ages to generations and is now disclosed to the saints here at Colossae. And I mean, if you're sitting there, I mean, you're like, oh. I mean, I need to listen now. I mean, really? What? I mean, nobody else? Us? I mean, we're, we're, we're like Colossians. I mean, Abraham didn't know it. David didn't know it. Moses didn't know it. Joshua didn't know it. Jacob didn't know it. I mean, what? 
I mean, what's so, what's so big? I mean, you've already told us about the fact that for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. You've told us that we get that, we understand that. I mean, they, Isaiah knew that. I mean, Isaiah prophesied over that. Isaiah prophesied that that day was going to come. What in the world could you possibly tell us that nobody else knew? Thank goodness Paul's not like me, and he actually told them instead of left you hanging. Verse 26, the mystery that's been kept hidden from ages to generations but is now disclosed to the saints. And then 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. We've got to stop there. We can't get to the mystery yet. Don't read ahead. Because here's what's so huge about this. Who were God's chosen people? Not the Gentiles. Not it. Gentiles not chosen. Nation of Israel chosen. Nation of Israel, God's people. And here's Paul coming into Colossae saying he has chosen to make known the mystery that's been kept hidden from ages to generation to the Gentiles. I mean, you get to be a part of this. You get to understand it. You get to know it. You get to participate in it. This is for you. Everything else, you've been on the outside looking in. Everything else, you've been on the back burner. But now you get to be a front row participant. And the most amazing message that Paul has ever been able to give. Because you see, it is actually, it is absolutely mind-blowing. To sit here and think about every sin you've ever committed. I mean, think about that. I know you might not want to. I mean, every one of them. All right, now stop for a second. Think about every sin that you're going to commit. That's a little harder because we're not quite sure what we're going to commit. Hopefully, hopefully we're not planning out a sin we're going to commit. The Bible talks about that. It's not good. Another talk for another night. Everything. Past. Present. Future. Gone. Washed clean. I mean, we are made holy in the eyes of God. I mean, Paul, what on earth? earth could be greater than that i think if we asked that question to paul and paul were standing there paul would be like ah yeah yeah, that's it because there ain't nothing on earth better than that because you see here's the best thing about christianity here's the absolute number one top of the charts best thing about christianity that nothing can touch that nothing has that nothing will ever offer Which is, verse 27 to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, I mean, like, the language was a whole lot better in, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, I mean, like, that was like, I mean, like, oh, that's me, grab hold of that. Okay, now let's take a second here. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. That's all it is. It's as simple as that. But it's not simple at all. Because it is absolutely phenomenal that Jesus Christ came on this earth. I mean, that's mind-blowing in and of itself. I mean, the Son of God stepped out of heaven and stepped onto earth. And then it's kind of like notching it up when the Son of God, once he's on earth and sees how awful we are, still decides to go to the cross. Still decides to allow himself to be hung on a cross to pay the penalty of our awfulness. And what's even like a notch above that is after he died on the cross, I mean like, he got up. I mean, he rose himself up from the dead. I mean, try that one for a science project. I mean, like, it's one thing. I mean, I don't know anybody that can do it, but it's one thing to raise somebody else up from the dead. He did that to Lazarus. He did that to another girl. I mean, he, he did that. But, I mean, like, he rose himself up out of the I mean, like, what? You are dead. I mean, you're, like, getting to where the smelly stage is, and you like, what, raised yourself up? How does that happen? I mean, like, that's like notching above. I mean, he came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose himself up from the grave. But what's even better than all of that is that because of all of that, he now is in you. I mean, that's not like, I mean, that's not like some symbol, symbolism thing, symbolic, that's what I was looking for, thing. I mean, that's not like, this isn't one of those times where the Bible's like being poetic and pretty and, you know, symbolic. It's the fullness of the message of the gospel that Paul has been trusted to give. Because you see, it's one thing to preach Christ on earth, Christ on the cross, Christ risen from the dead, but that's not the fullness. Because there's still a piece missing. Because the fullness of the gospel is that now because of all of that, Christ lives inside of you when you put your faith in him. And this is something that's so mind-blowing that I, 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 I get how confusing it is as well. I mean, because like, What? I mean, how does that happen? I mean, I, I, I mean, you probably, I, you may have never seen this movie, and if, I probably shouldn't even mention this movie because you really shouldn't go see the movie. But when I was younger, there was this movie, The Gremlins. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't remember much of the movie, but I do remember how the gremlins would, like, take over your body, and then all of a sudden would, like, come out of your stomach. I mean, like, ugh, you know, I, I don't know why that was so good, but I, it was a good movie, apparently, because I remember watching it, I remember it this day, and they were like, come out, I mean, I'm not talking about like that. I mean, I'm not talking about like the, the gremlins taking over and coming out, huh? Oh, Alien, is that what it is? Oh, okay, I mixed my movies up, okay, there we go, Alien did that, all right, 
I mean, we're not talking about that. No, no. What we're talking about, see, that's why I shouldn't mention movies that I hadn't seen in 15 years. No, what I'm talking about is the King of Kings. I mean, that's like, that's like huge, like the King of Kings. I'm talking like Big K King of Little K Kings. King of Kings is inside of you. It's a completely different answer. And that's kind of what we're going to look at the next few weeks. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging. I'm not going to really dive into a lot tonight because, quite frankly, I don't have time. And, you know, whatever. I'm just kind of setting it up tonight. And we're going to dive into this next week. And I'm, I'm going to have some props that I love. It's an illustration that I'm straight up stealing from somebody else. But it's an awesome illustration. There's not a better one out there, in my opinion, which is why I'm stealing it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm stealing it. But it's a completely different answer. You go to First Baptist, right? Yeah, I do. Why? I, I, I just got a question that's been bothering me. I, kn- I know you're up there all the time. I know you're going on the trips. I know, you know, I mean, really, what, what's so good about Christianity? I mean, why in the world should I even think about becoming a Christian? Hmm. Well, I know you're not going to understand this, and you're going to think I'm really weird. And I get that. But the best thing about being a Christian is that my Savior and King is living inside of me. You mean like, like an alien or, I mean, or a gremlin if you're talking to Jace? You know, I mean, you mean like that? No, no, I don't mean like that, no. I mean like the entire nature and characteristic of the king of kings lives in me. Completely different perspective on things. Who likes Tupperware? (laughs) You're going to get a lot of Tupperware next week. Tupperware. Big Tupperware. Yeah, plastic Tupperware. You're going to get a lot of Tupperware next week. Um, the band's going to come up, and I want you to think about this, because here's the deal. I want you to really think about over the next week, and this, here's a novel idea. This would be an absolutely novel idea for young Christian teenagers. Brand new idea, all right, so listen up. You've never heard it before. You know, it'd be pretty awesome if this week you actually tried to kind of study this topic. I know, novel idea, that you would actually open the Bible and look in it. Got that. I don't mean to be sarcastic in that, but... I mean, really, this week. Try to wrap your mind, if you can, around the concept of the King of Kings living inside of you and what that means. And next week we're going to come back together and we'll probably do this for a couple of weeks, but next week we're going to come back together and we're going to kind of talk about this and illustrate this a little better for you. But it'd be pretty awesome if over this week you just kind of try to dig into that and try to figure out what that means. Because um, that'd be pretty cool. All right.
The band's going to lead us. Why don't we stand up and sing?